As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Monday, January 30th. Derek Van Riper, you know, Saris here with you on this episode. Coming off of the momentum of Pitcher Week, we are going to take a brief break from our position preview series and focus on some end-of-the-month news and notes. There have been a handful of trades that have taken place since we last broke down transactions. There are some other updates on player health and role expectations. So we want to make sure we get all of those in before going back to position previews throughout the rest of this week. Eno, how was your weekend? Hmm. Did you already forget? It's only 942 on Monday. <laughs> well, the football game was upsetting. That was well, a, yeah, that you, was, for you, yeah, for you, yeah, for you. For me, I didn't. I didn't care, but. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just sad. It actually I mean, was sad. You, you don't want to see a season ever end like that for anybody Fourth string quarterback gets hurt <laughs> the third string quarterback has to come back in and can't throw it was just like watching it happen in in real time was just like oh this it was very disappointing because with health that would have been a fun game to watch even if you're a casual football fan yeah you were pretty disappointed by the the injuries that piled up there were some frustrating moments overall this weekend i just took the kids to the trampoline park before the football game um and they have like a membership there we go there and they're like oh if you still have to have a reservation even if you have a membership and we're just like i hate you so it's like a climbing gym now where you, you got to have a, a membership well it's climbing gyms you can go in as a guest though but yeah it said free jump open jump we called and they said yeah it's just open for everybody and if you're a member you can just come and they were turning away members and some of the kids were crying and i was like this uh, i think you should guys should uh, look into this one you know, figure this one out, at least warn people somehow. Uh, what was the other day? Uh, first baseball clinic of the spring for uh, the older the older kid. Uh, so, uh, you know, getting ready to, I think his assessment is this weekend. So uh, all those plans of, uh, of really ramping up his arm and building his arm strength. Uh, well, um, it was cold and wet. We didn't. We couldn't get outside that often. <laughs> it's true. It actually was. Yeah. Unseasonably so. terrible. Uh, so it was. Uh, yeah, a little up and down weekend. Yeah. Well, hey, 
The next one could be better, right? <laughs> it's the only way to look at it. We begin today with the trade that sent Adalberto Mondesi to the Red Sox. This came up on the 3-0 show, which, by the way, if you've been watching the 3-0 show historically on the Rates and Barrels YouTube page, you will notice it's not there anymore because it's part of the Athletic Baseball Show's YouTube page. So be sure to subscribe to that page because that has a lot of other great content, interviews, other episodes from that feed, all sorts of good stuff over there. Uh, But from a fantasy perspective, that's where this is a lot more interesting. If you're a Red Sox fan, you're looking at Mondesi and you're like, yeah, okay, he's a guy that can play shortstop, doesn't necessarily make our team a lot better. For our purposes, this is exciting because he was a bit of a forgotten guy in Kansas City. Playing time was going to be more of a part-time role by most indications. Uh, Clearly, the front office had expressed, the previous front office had expressed some frustration with Mondesi in recent years and even with the changes there. Now he's a part of the Red Sox. So I looked at the weekend ADP from NFBC drafts. I am not at all surprised to see that Edelberto Mondesi's weekend ADP was in the 180 range. Earliest pick 158 overall, latest pick 222 overall. I think this comes back to a couple of things. One, do you buy Kike Hernandez as a regular at shortstop for the Red Sox this season? And two, do you think Mondesi can stay healthy enough to actually take advantage of this opportunity if they do, in fact, see him as a potential regular? No and no. So they really didn't (laughs) solve the problem at all. But I love the trade for for Boston. It's a a funny thing where uh, the intersection, uh, every once in a while, a transaction happens that just catches me right between my two jobs. (laughs) And like my first reaction when they did this trade, where they traded Josh Taylor, who's a left-handed reliever who's been hurt, and lost velocity on rehab. Yes, they have three years of command on him, but he is a reliever that's hurt <laughs> and missed all of last season. When they traded him for Adalberto Montes, I said, oh, I love it. And I love it because this is a team that has, uh, well, I'm sort of giving away a little bit of a piece that I'm working on right now, but uh, they have the most high variance uh, hitters in uh, uh, for a single team in baseball. So we're looking at these 80th and 20th percentile projections. And in fact, the uh, Red Sox have the most with a large gap between their 80th and 20th percentile outcomes. So they have a high variance team, Uh, you know, and you can see it when you look at their depth chart. You're like, you're like, oh, this team's rotation is going to be crappy if anybody gets hurt. But if they're not... eh, So Kluber Paxton resurgence, sales, like... I'm going to just come and give you 30 starts, you know, randomly, you know, you could see how like, oh, wow, this team could be good. Uh, And so when they when they traded this, I was only one year at Alberto Montesi. It's a little bit of a Hail Mary, but I love it because they didn't spend anything and they improved their 80th percentile outcome as a team. So their 80th percentile outcome, I think, has Alberto Montesi starting every day in at short. But I don't think it's super likely. I don't, I'm not trying to say it's likely. And then when we f- switch over, I put my fantasy hat on. on I'm not going to be like, go get Alberto Mondesi. Yeah, you're definitely the starter. No, I don't, I don't know. He can't stay healthy. And, you know, it, one of the projection systems has him as just an awful, awful hitter. The bad X says he's awful. Steamer says he's okay. I don't know. There's a range of outcomes there. I just think it's better for the Red Sox to have both. And this is my main reasoning is it has to do with Kike Hernandez. And Kike Hernandez is 31 years old. You know how many uh, shortstops, qualified shortstops there were over 30 years old last year? No, there was Brandon Crawford. So no, at least before. One. He wasn't qualified anymore. He didn't play enough? Yeah. 
Oh, come on. He still counts. That's part of it, though, right? That's part of it. You don't play enough. But yeah, okay, you can count him. If you count him, you're counting him along with Elvis Andrews, right? So Elvis Andrews is the other, right? And then there's Kyle Farmer. So which one of these players is Enrique Hernandez like? Is he like Brandon Crawford and Elvis Andrews, one of the guys that has been playing shortstop his whole friggin' life and, and, and you know, is, is conditioned to do it and blah, blah, blah? Or is he more like Kyle Farmer, a guy who was just playing shortstop because they had, they had to and is now not going to play shortstop anymore or he's going to be a utility guy? That's Enrique Hernandez. So, like, I I don't have that much hope for him in terms of just being an everyday guy from the, the rigors of the position that hasn't played daily. He had five, the equivalent of five full games at shortstop last year. So I, I see him as being acceptable. But if Mondesi is healthy, I think he would be a better defensive shortstop. And if he's hitting at all, a better overall option. So, I mean, yeah, take him for your third or fourth shortstop in a dra- draft and hold. Cool with that. Take him for a bench hitter in a 15-team league. I might be cool with that. Because you might know early on how they're using him. If you can stash him on an IL. You're not getting him at that kind of price. You're getting him inside the top 200 right now. You're taking him in a 15-team league. You're taking him in That's round your... 12, 13, something in that range. You're thinking about him more as a, a middle infielder. I think that's a poor choice of resource. I wouldn't do that. Unless you're going to double tap a little later and, and get someone else that you think will play more consistently. If you just say, I'll, I'll pay the, the extra to get Mondesi because if, he, if he's the guy, if he's the guy, 30 steals over a full season is not unreasonable. Again, the full season part's the unreasonable part. Right. The speed skill is not unreasonable. He's a flawed player. Banking steals when he's healthy, you know, just getting, you know, 15 or 20 steals before he gets hurt, it would still actually be super valuable. I mean, think about it. Like, 100 steals in the past has put you in the top three to five in in steals. Three. So if you got 15 steals from this guy, like, that would actually be a lot. That would be really helpful. Uh, I'm not trying to say there's no use case for him, but I just, I would not draft him to be my starting MI. Yeah. I mean, look at the career slash line, 244, 280, This is a very flawed offensive player that can do some of the exciting things we need in fantasy. So tread carefully. I would not, would not go any higher than he's going right now. And I think I'd have to be pretty speed light to want to draft him where he's going. I think this is a, this is almost identical to the profile of Jorge Mateo. I would say we've seen evidence that Alberto Mondesi has more in-game power. That's the that's the main difference between those two Otherwise, players. Otherwise pretty similar. Really high strikeout rates, low walk rates, not a very good hitter overall. Right. Value him within the framework of how Mateo was utilized in your leagues. If you were able to use Mateo last year, okay, that's fine. Just... Think well, of more with like the that. extra sort of injury asterisk. I do like him a little yeah. better with unlimited uh, ILs, I guess, in certain sort of shallower leagues. Like if I drafted him and he didn't make the opening day, then I could stash him on IL and pick up like Segura. If like that's the kind of thing that's available on your wire. And then I just play Segura and I have Mondesi stashed. And then maybe he comes and gives me 20 steals before he's hurt again. I mean, that's sort of how I would see the season going. Yeah, yeah, I think that's reasonable. Uh, the other thing the Red Sox did, since we're talking about Boston, is they added Adam Duvall to help fix their center field problem. And Duvall, much like Mondesi, because he's got a team now, 
was going earlier in drafts over the weekend. The range was picked 284 to 373 ADP, just outside the top 300 overall. Cheap power, that's fine. It usually comes with a, a lower average. That's you know what you expect. I guess the question with Duvall is more, could we see anything close to what he has done in recent years with prolonged stretches of playing time? If you go back to 2021, 38 homers, a big-time power season, 113 RBIs. I don't think the team context is good enough for him to get to the 113 RBIs again. But is there a cheap 20 to 25 home run bat here because of how much they'll need to play him in that outfield mix? Yeah, you know, his bail rate, his max CV went down last year. He's 34 years old at this point. Um, I'm not buying him. I think it's a, uh, a worse version of Hunter Renfro. An older, yeah, an older version of Hunter Renfro. Yeah, and I think at some point you just you got to be careful with these guys. I mean, it, it's not um, like you know what you know what Joey Votto says about his career all the time is that I I tried to develop the skills that would lead to the best longevity. You know that's what he says. I I do not think that Adam Duvall has these skills that lead to the best longevity. So he's already thirty four. I'm not I'm not into it. And they're going to play him in center. It's Red Sox team, man. <laughs> yeah, how, do you really want to watch this team? Oh man, it's it's. I think it's either good. Like if <laughs> there's like this like weird sliver of chance where like we have like I end up having to write a story that's like how did the Red Sox make the postseason? <laughs> okay, there's the here, here's how it works. They were right about Yoshida, and everybody else was wrong. That's uh-huh. part of it. Devers has the MVP level campaign that I think people reasonably believe is within his range of outcomes. That could happen. Kluber, Paxton, and Montessi are all healthy. All of them? At least two of the three. Sale's healthy. Sale has to be healthy right. for sure. I think Sale this, has to be this healthy in this point, yeah. fantasy world. Story comes back and is like a DH. The like, yeah. second half of the season is pretty good. They get 400 plus plate appearances out of Mondesi. They're actually kind of like what he's done when he's been good. Cassis hits. Cassis a long hit. list. Cassis has to hit for this team to exceed expectations. I think, like that's part I think of it. Durin has to come up and hit and take the job from Duval. Like I don't actually, if they are good, I don't actually see it being like Duval resurgence. I think it's almost Durin comes and takes the job from him. Yeah, um, I'm still looking at them as a bottom two in the AL East. I think that's yeah where I feel like they safely belong. Would you take them over the Orioles right now for wins this season? Uh, we we already done this, and I said I said Orioles, but uh, you would take the Orioles. I'm taking the Orioles, and there's some news that makes me feel like it's possible. The Orioles feel the same way, and they're ready to go. Yeah, so the Orioles are expecting. This is according to their GM, Mike Elias. They're expecting Grayson Rodriguez <clears throat> to make the rotation out of spring training. Uh, so Mike Elias was on MLB Network Radio this weekend with Jim Bowden when he laid out this scenario. That's great. I mean, uh, this is a team that's on the rise. We saw evidence of it last year. We saw them push prospects pretty aggressively. Even guys that didn't debut in the big leagues. There were some players moving to the upper levels of their system that they just moved up because they decided it was time. Are you comfortable with Grayson Rodriguez where he tends to go in drafts knowing that we've got some very tight workload restrictions? How they do it, I think, is up for debate. But there will be pretty tight restrictions on Grayson Rodriguez this year if, if what we've seen in the minor leagues is any indication 
the in-start workloads, the annual workloads because of injuries have been limited. I mean, what's the best case scenario workload-wise for a guy that back in 2021 got just over 100 innings? Are we looking at 125 to 130 regular season innings for Grace Rodriguez and saying that's the reasonable ceiling for him? Well, we did have a, also a, a good uh, question in the mailbag about um, would we, if we should be using pitches. So I thought I'd, I would try this out, um, you know. In 2021, Grayson Rodriguez had 1,586 pitches. He had 23 starts. 69, nice, pitches per appearance, per start. So I think that's what we've seen from somebody like Tyler Wells uh, that last year got the role in for the first month Two months of the season, he never cracked 80 pitches, and he averaged around 65, 70 pitches per start. Now, later in the season, he peaked, uh, started peaking uh, around 80, even hit 90 a couple times. And then at the end of the season, after some injury, uh, he petered out with uh, more 50s and 60s again. Um, so peak output for Tyler Wells, who is not the prospect that Grayson Rodriguez is at all. Um, was uh, was about 80 pitches per start. Grayson Rodriguez in the past has 69 pitches per start. He has 60, 1,600 pitches in his bag. Um, last year was a little bit below that, uh, more like 1,200. So I would say 1,600 is the max for him. If you do 1,600 divided by 80, you get 20 starts. So... Then the question is for fantasy value, let's say, okay, 20 starts, only goes about five innings, because that's what you get out of 80 pitches. We got a Drew Rasmussen here, who's, who's, you know, I'm not saying they're the same in terms of like hype and prospect and ability. I'm just saying the, the Drew Rasmussen use case is the same, right? We're like, oh, I know this guy's only getting 80 pitches per start. How valuable can he be to me? And the difference is Drew Rasmussen has, was showing really good command. So this puts a lot of pressure on Grayson Rodriguez's command to be fantasy valuable, right? Because if he only has 80 pitches, yes, you can go like five or six on that. Drew Rasmussen did. He got some wins. But you got to be really efficient and you got to have really good command. Grayson Rodriguez has a 40 slash 50 from Fangraphs on, on present versus future command. If you think he can hit the ball, you know, hit the ground running and have like a 250 walks per nine, then he'll have some wins. If he struggles a little bit with the walks, he's he might have six wins in 20 starts. So now you're yeah. talking about 20 starts. I mean, the nice thing would be you would still get maybe 120 strikeouts. 20 starts, 120 strikeouts, six wins, pretty good ERA. 20 starts. I don't know. I, I it's that seems strange. What just to bring a guy up to do twenty starts? Well, I mean, you'd rather get twenty than nothing. Like, why? Why have him pitch at AAA if he's big league ready? Uh-huh. Get as much as you can out of him and and deal with the times he's not available. That's better than yeah. And your, they're and they're thinking we want to build him up in a healthy way to twenty five and thirty starts in the future. And it seems to be the way that they they did it with Tyler Wells last year. I mean, I think that's the most likely outcome. The question is just how much fantasy value that has. It comes down to a lot of factors. Uh, anytime we're talking about players with limitations, 
how many roster spots do you have available, right? Is it a typical five or seven player bench? Are quality of players in the waiver wire high enough where you could just use the way you could use the waiver wire as an extension of your bench? If no, if you're talking deeper mixed leagues, and this time of year everyone's talking about 15 team NFBC style leagues, if you're thinking about leagues that are not the draft and hold variety where you've got 50 players in your roster, I find players with significant restrictions in workload very tough to roster start to finish. It helps a lot that they aren't trying to, based on these comments, trying to slow play him in the minor leagues for a few weeks because waiting and then dealing with this is even worse. Because then it's Fabapalooza and you got to throw $150 Fab on him. Right. At least this way. Let's just say, let's let's say it is 70, 75, 80 pitches per outing, something in that range. It seems like a very reasonable expectation. Five innings is at least possible with that workload cap. But how often is he going to go five? How often is he going to be eligible for a win? Will they ever throw openers in front of him? Is there any reason to believe they would just do that? I Probably not. I, I would assume they would use him like a regular starter. This is a guy that they see as the front of the line ace that they've wanted for a long time. So throwing an opener in front of him probably isn't the the way to get him into that routine of being the guy that just goes out there, starts the game, and goes as far as he possibly can. So all of this, all of this is to say, like I, I'm af- what I'm afraid is going to happen is people are going to see this news and react by pushing him up the board. And any chance that you could get away with drafting him where he goes and and being okay on a per-start basis and saying, oh, the K rate's going to be high enough, the ratios are going to be good enough, the mm-hmm. low innings won't matter, low win count won't even matter that much. I'm okay with this at pick 175, 180, 185 in that range. Let's say you are okay with that. Are you okay with that at 140, 130 if he, if he gets that, that two or three round bump, which seems like the kind of thing that can happen just because of the ceiling that Grayson Rodriguez has? Who are the other pitchers that are going around 130? Once you get to the 130 range, you, then you're pushing him up against Jesus Lazardo, Chris Sale, Lance Lynn, totally different kind of pitcher, Freddie Peralta, Dustin May is at 150. Is Dustin May versus Grayson Rodriguez a fair toss-up? Like Peralta, I think, is like the one where I'd be like, you know, they both have, like, I think Peralta has really good upside, you know? And less likely to be, they're playing all these games with them. You know, he's at the age and the part of his contract where I think they're like, all right, like if you're healthy, you're in there, right? They're going to play like, you know, 70 pitches per appearance games with him. I mean, they have options through 2026. I didn't know he signed a five year deal. Yeah, they gave him one of those team friendly extensions. Anyway, uh, uh, I guess I could. Drew Rasmussen was last year's 30th best pitcher. Uh, he got 11 wins in 146 innings, and he threw 2,200 pitches. Like, I don't think Grayson Rodriguez can do all that. So you're, you're probably just out then. I think I'm just out for this year. It's 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 a great profile, I mean, and in I love him many situations days, it doesn't work. Know, like yeah, I don't know. I I just the yeah. I mean there there is a fair amount of risk in those arms that you just said around him. That's interesting, right? Like I could actually even still at 130. I don't know. Like you know Chris Sale or Grayson Rodriguez. Grayson Rodriguez, exciting, young, healthy. You know maybe he'll just blow the doors off the 
you know, off of the off the league. There, I was I thought that you would say some name where I'm like, oh well, this guy obviously, you know. Peralta's close, but Peralta has a, a bunch of innings risk. You know, Peralta is uh, projected for 130 innings. Yeah, no, I get it. He's had arm trouble. He's had the previous work in the bullpen, so it, it's a fair question to ask about him. Can he stay healthy and and be a starter for a full season? And sail 140. So there's not there's not an innings horse around them. Like Lazard has been hurt repeatedly. Uh, the, I think though the the thing is. Sale and Peralta, if they're in, they're not going to have these seventy uh, pitches per appearance type workloads. They're they're just when they're just going to go. That's yeah. Their risk is just the typical injury risk, then modified or to like their own history. Typical, but like yeah, based on age, <laughs> right? It's, eleva- it's, it's pitcher, elevated because of who they are. Risk. There's the risk that Grace Rodriguez pitches well and is last year's Drew Rasmussen, like the one that has like eighty. 80 starts, 80 uh, innings, and what, like six wins or something? Four wins. That's also in the range, and that's why this is part of the problem. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's make this like the the Price is Right cliffhangers game. We're not going to do yodeling. You can yodel yourself if you want to. I won't add it in in production because it's not everyone's favorite. So I'm going to take Grayson Rodriguez. I'm going to keep putting him up against people ahead of him right now in ADP. And you just tell me who you take. It's a spin on would you rather. But uh-huh. Grayson Rodriguez versus John Gray because that's, that's where he's sitting right now. Who are you taking in that spot for 2023 only, of course? John Gray. Okay. So we didn't get anywhere. <laughs> we didn't get very far. <laughs> Little man going up the mountain didn't even get started. <laughs> While people are yodeling in their cars, let's let's try a couple more and just see if there's anyone else that's going ahead of Gray and Rodriguez that you'd actually you know think is going too early. Oh, there's Drew Rasmussen uh, himself. So Drew it is. Rasmussen. Yeah. Okay. How about Pablo Lopez? You taking Pablo Lopez ahead of Grayson Rodriguez? We're getting closer though. That's weird. You're going up. It's going, the, it's going the other way. I'm going up. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'd still take Pablo Lopez, but it's close there. closer on that one than the other one so far. Maybe I've got one. Brady Singer versus Grayson Rodriguez? Yeah, I'll take Grayson Rodriguez. But this is a Brady Singer thing. This isn't a Grayson <laughs> Rodriguez right. thing. You're just going to find pictures I don't like. <laughs> Kodai Singa versus Grayson Rodriguez? Uh, I have Kodai higher. It's an interesting one, though. All right, we've we've settled this. Grayson Rodriguez, if he moves up, you're just not you're not bothering. It's pretty clear. Uh, I'm pushing him as hard as I can right now. I have him like 59 ahead of Jesus Lazardo, uh, behind like Jordan Montgomery, 
Pablo Lopez, Jose Barrios. I know, like, some people were, like, especially people who play in Dynasty and Keeper Leagues, would be like, what? You have him, like, behind Jordan Montgomery? Like, what? You know, Grayson Rodriguez is amazing. But I'm just, this is for this year only. Yep. That's it. That's what it is. So I think he could become cost prohibitive if that I bump that we're expecting happens. I trade eight Jordan Montgomery's for one Grayson Rodriguez if it was a keeper league. <laughs> yes, uh, very well said. If that was possible. <laughs> Let's move on to another prospect-related matter. Andrew Friedman was also on MLB Network Radio this weekend, and when asked by Jim Bowden about how he saw the infield being pieced together at this time, the response was Max Muncy, probably at third, Gavin Lux at short, Miguel Vargas at second, Chris Taylor in the outfield, and Miguel Rojas as the utility option, which kind of makes me happy because that's what I would do in some configuration, right? I would play the young guys and let the veteran be the guy that's the glue guy that holds it all together if any one of the young guys isn't playing as well as I'd like. So, uh, how does this make you feel about Miguel Vargas? And does this actually change anything for you about Max Muncy too? Just thinking about how the Dodgers might be picturing him as a regular now at, at third base. And and is that long-term even something they could, they could get away with for more than this season? Yeah, I suppose the thing is that with the new shift rules, you want someone who's a little bit more spry on their feet. I think Max Muncy is exactly the type of defensive second baseman we'll see less of in the coming years. Um, and so, you know, moving over to third, it's a quick twitch, quick reaction, rather than uh, putting a lot of pressure on him, having a lot of range and, and, and being spry on his feet. I think the second baseman is going to have to cover more ground against lefties this, this coming season. So you put the younger guy over in se- over at second. I thought Vargas was not that great defensively. That's just what my thought. So I thought he would maybe end up in the corner outfield and Chris Taylor plays center. But maybe Chris Taylor's days as a center fielder are numbered. Uh, he is getting older, and traditionally, it's like shortstop, where you have like two guys over thirty uh, playing center field, and he's thirty-two. Uh, you know, and the defensive numbers have, have fallen off a little bit for him. So this keeps Chris Taylor in the corner outfield. Trace Thompson, I guess, is the center fielder. And Miguel Vargas is immediately much sexier. I now that. You know, someone has anointed him the probable starter at a position. Um, I just want to point out that he has that delectable combination of good eye at the plate and really good hit tool. Um, And I think it's going to lead to high batting averages, high on base percentages. And the power is somewhat of a question mark. Um, He had good power in the minor leagues. Last year, a 106 max EV for Miguel Vargas is not amazing. 8.6% barrel rate is above average, but not uh, not what you would call like sort of standout power. However, it was 50 plate appearances, and he had just been murdering uh, AAA and AA uh, in his last few stops. So I think this will work out. I think he could be a 280 hitter with 20 homers in his first full season. Um, these, the stolen bases are a little bit hard, especially with the rule changes. He had 16 at AAA, but fewer, you know, going back, uh, how often would they let him run on a team like this? Will he play in the bottom, uh, third of that lineup? Um, there are some really interesting findings though, from Jeff Zimmerman recently, he just did uh, stolen base opportunities by lineup slot. And it turns out 
that uh, going from first in the lineup to second costs you the most in stolen base opportunities. And in fact, uh, hitting sixth, seventh, and eighth uh, increases your stolen base opportunity, like your the, the increases the rate at which players steal bases from those lineup slots. So maybe he will steal because he'll be at the bottom of the lineup. And he's just get into scoring get... position, you know, lesser quality bats behind you in the bottom of the order. So exactly. got to make some things happen. So what, like what, if you were building this lineup, where would Miguel Vargas hit? He's probably hitting like seventh. Yeah, it's hard to at least at the beginning of the season, hard to pencil him in much higher than there. Yeah, I mean, you, you're going to have uh, Freeman, Betts and Muncie near the top. Will Smith, order. JD Martinez, Will probably Smith, JD is Martinez, the... four, five, Taylor, six, Lux, seven, Vargas, eight. Yeah, I mean, if you're yeah, mixing and matching lefties and righties, could change that by one, but yeah. uh, generally, that seems about right. Maybe he steals ten bases. So now you're talking about a guy who, in his first year, could hit two eighty with eighteen to twenty two homers and ten stolen bases. That'll play just with fine. second base eligibility, CIMI eligibilities by by the second week of the season. And he's starting first base only. So when you listen to our first base position preview, he'll come That's up a little bit from there. Love, yeah. But I, I do think if, if I'm looking at Vargas and the same way I was looking at Grayson Rodriguez, pushing him up a little bit, assuming people are going to get more excited about him over the course of spring. I look at Vargas versus, I mean, let's just, Let's just say Cattell Marte, different position for now, but Cattell Marte is second base only. You're kind of expecting Vargas to be that sort of player, lower in the order, with maybe more speed than Marte is going to provide at this stage. We'll see if, if Marte gets back to running with healthier legs this year, but it's hard to bank on that. But I think fringe top 200 is actually acceptable. I think Vargas is one of those players that can creep up a little bit in terms of ADP, and I'm, I'm still very interested. And Lux with those uh, huge new arms of his. I I always thought he was the shortstop. I thought the Rojas thing was, you know, it was a depth acquisition. And given that it was a depth acquisition, I thought they could have just kept the player they traded and had him play utility. But at least Rojas is a more known commodity uh, with a higher floor than the guy they traded away. Um, so Lux is uh, the shortstop, and if he adds, the only thing that I've always complained about with him is, you know, the raw power. And if he adds any raw power to what he has been doing so far, he's he's still a breakout candidate. You know, at 25, he's not he's a year away from his peak season, and uh, in terms of plate discipline, contact ability, um, you know, nice nice sort of balanced uh, for the most part balanced ground ball, fly ball, pull, oppo mixes. Seems like he can hit it all over. So just uh, adding some oomph. Uh, would be a big deal. Uh, I would like to see it. It might be one of those things where I, you know, I hate to say spring homers. You know, you know, I, that's something to watch for. But in his case, we're looking for more power. Yeah, it's lost because of the context of the league last year. But it was the best season offensively for Gavin Lux as a big leaguer, and he's done a good job really maintaining the improved plate skills from when he first debuted. It was such a small sample back in 2019. We saw him late in the year. His 2020 was as much of a lost season as just about anyone's, but running a K rate in the low 20% range, walking enough, I mean, just a good real-life player to start, and now he's tacking maybe a little more power on top of that. Has some speed, of course, to go with it. Seven for nine is a base dealer last year. 
kind of fits that bill of someone that would be running a bit more with the new rules. Or right? we'll when find we out first that talked was just about an, that. Was that an AI thing with his with his with his arms? Yeah. <laughs> You're convinced that Give this was Gavin not Lux actually real. Give me Gavin Lux with bigger arms. Give me Gavin Lux with Mark McGuire's arms. You know, if if someone made that for baseball, where you could just Frankenstein players together, it would be a very popular thing that people would play with. Oh my god! It wouldn't make any money, but it'd be popular. <laughs> Most Yandy of my ideas Diaz's just like arms that. on Chris Sale. <laughs> this is uh this is like an April Ludgate from Parks and Rec thing. She was describing her ideal man. She's like. Yao Ming's torso with <laughs> with Frankenstein's head and is like you know just basically that but with with baseball players. There was another trade that went down and I think we got to this at some point on one of the other episodes just in passing but in detail we can look at this one a bit more now. Twins Marlins hook up on a deal. Pablo Lopez goes to Minnesota. Luis Arias, the big leaguer, going back the other way. A couple of minor leaguers also going with Lopez to Minnesota. Uh, Jose Salas and Byron Churio. I was surprised that the Marlins were adding prospects because it seemed pretty balanced as it was. Arias has one extra year of club control left, so I thought that would offset maybe the difference in shorter-term value. We know the Marlins had a lot of pitching. Part of this is that Jazz Chisholm's going to play center field, which also seems weird, but... Hey, Marlins are, are the Marlins. Let's just start with the pitching side of this first. Pablo Lopez leaving a very pitcher-friendly environment. What do you see for him in Minnesota? How does this change his value, if at all? Arias actually has three years. Uh, thank God. I was like, man, just one more year after this. That would be no, no, he's, yeah, he's got he's got a little more time. He's got three. Um, uh, Pablo Lopez uh, took, I think, a line drive off the wrist. And there's a good piece on Fangraphs. Um, sorry, I don't have it right in front of me. Uh, that's just about how ever since he took that line drop off, line drop off his li- wrist, his four seam, his active spin percentage, his four seam ride has been down, and that's absolutely germane to the discussion uh, that we were having online and here about the true value of Pablo Lopez's changeup. Because uh, my stuff number has it as above average, 103 or whatever. By by looks, it's a beautiful changeup. By results, it was a pretty good changeup that's been better in the past. Well, you know what changeups do? They depend on the shape of the fastball. And so since Pablo Lopez's fastball has changed shape, his changeup hasn't been less effective. So if the Twins can get some more ride, some more active spin out of that uh, fastball, it'll make the changeup better. Um, and uh, having someone on Fangrass pointed out uh, suggests to me that that's a distinct possibility for the Twins. And if that's the case, then we got a guy with Pablo Lopez that has an elite changeup, a pretty good fastball, and command of his two breaking balls that are decent. Uh, Four-pitch guy, you know, uh, with, a, with an elite pitch and uh, command of most of his pitches, it's pretty, that's pretty exciting. And I think that might be enough to overcome the sort of park-related switches, the park-related switch. You'd always want Pablo Lopez in Miami more than you want him in Minnesota. But Minnesota's not a bad place to go, and if they tweak his mix and get him better. Uh, so I think he's a, a good middle-of-the-middle-of-the-pack-ish uh, pitcher that could be um, a team's second-best pitcher. But uh, the price on the 
on the Marlin side for Rise is, was too much for me. Uh, we're talking about a guy, yes, he makes contact. And I think what happens sometimes for organizations is they make an edict, they have a plan, and I like having plans and I like going all in, but you also want to keep stay reasonable and not get so far into the plan that you forget like reason that you forget other things so the the idea in in that that, that came out in the papers in, in miami was that they were really going to focus on contact well luis arias if you focus on contact you're like whoa that's a really good player he makes a lot of contact yes he is a bad body bad defense no power not much patience second baseman that was already losing second base eligibility and you just made him your fourth second baseman on your team you're going to have a second baseman at third, a second baseman at second base, a second base at center field, and a second baseman at short. You have four se- second basemen on the field. That's when you've gone too far into the contact thing. <laughs> and you added, you don't have that many offensive prospects that are worth anything. And you added Fernando Salas, who I don't know that he is uh, that amazing of a prospect, and especially not the old Fernando Salas. Uh, it's Francisco Salas, isn't it? Jose Salas. Jose Salas. There we go. Fernando Salas. God, you're taking a 37-year-old. Um, <laughs> Jose Salas is... Uh, that's the wrong Jose Salas. Thank you. Uh, he is... Okay. He's not that great he, yet. And he could be. Um, that's also not the right Jose Salas. Great. Um, he... Uh, <laughs> He, uh, no, no, I, he's exciting because he makes a, a decent amount of contact, has a decent amount of patience. The power could all be from his legs. You know, when you're looking at a guy who has barely league average isolated slugging percentages and also good stolen base totals in the minor leagues, so that could all be with the legs. So we have no idea how hard he hits the ball. And w- without knowing how hard he hits the ball, you're just left guessing how good of a prospect he is. Because if he doesn't hit the ball hard, it's a bit of a more of a like a utility backup kind of profile like how hard you hit the ball is immensely important in baseball i'm sorry just like almost the number one thing i would ask about a player sure sure i i think with with someone like Luis arias like when you put the ball in play as often as he does you're going to get a very low sort of power profile almost certainly right if he if he had well above average power and he made contact as much as he does, he'd be incredible. So is this sort of a, a Stephen Kwan playing around the infield sort of maneuver where you look at it and say, okay, if he can play good defense somewhere, that also adds more real life value. I'm not sure that he ever will really do that. Is there a position where you'd like Luis Arias defensively? You know, second base is okay, I guess. Second base, I mean, he... <sighs> He's not that spry. He's closer to Max Muncy than you'd want to admit in terms of speed. Can we do that? Who, who do, runs uh, faster, Luis Arias or Max Muncy? Arias is 38th percentile, so this could be close. Yeah, this is going to be close. What's Muncy? Muncy's 317 out of 582. Oh my God. Muncy's faster? Yes. Muncy's faster. He's 46 percentile. <laughs> I love baseball, man. Max Muncy is faster than Luis Arias, dude. Nobody, nobody would have guessed that. 
There's a few things. Luis Arias, though, I've watched. I've watched enough random Twins games over the last couple of seasons. He does kind of stand out to you when you watch him. He just does things that that smart ball players do. Like he has mm-hmm. those instincts that that make a a average player a good player, or make a good player a very good player. Right? He does those things well. He might not have great sprint speed, but he's a good base runner. When you watch him run the bases, that is a way to make your speed play up, right? I don't like this move in the sense that I don't think this solves the Marlins' problems, but I probably don't hate it as much as most people hate it. I'm just surprised they gave up a couple of prospects as part of the deal. I really thought it was fair one for one. Uh, I, I don't know if there's any way to even look at Arias at this point and say, uh, he'll unlock more power. He'll have one of those seasons you know, like the year of the rabbit ball season from Jeff McNeil, where he somehow gets into the 20 home so run range. I don't think that's coming. Miami. <laughs> yeah, especially going to that ballpark. That's that's just not going to happen. But he fits on your fantasy team if you do everything else a certain way. It's just not a profile that I end up putting on rosters very often. He plays so much more for me in a mono league setting or a draft and hold setting where the average and the runs, like that, that'll be fine. Like Those categories are, are totally fine to get from a guy that should be almost an everyday player. He's, he's either a leadoff guy pretty easily, like on an everyday basis. Yeah. As of right now, he's the best projected offensive player they have on the roster by WRC+. He's got a 118 WRC+. That is the best Marlins hitter That's by projection. Thing about the second baseman, you like it's like you have a ton of two hitters. Too, so like, you go a rise, Wendell... Segura, no, Jazz has got to be two, I guess. So, Arias, Jazz, Avisail, Soler, mm, Soler, Soler. When he's in, is probably your three hitter. Soler, and then you know when you get to four and five, sometimes having contact is good. So you could actually go Soler, like Wendell, Segura, Avisail, Brian De La Cruz. Um. As the lineup, it's still pretty bad. Uh, the one thing I also am nervous about, and there's this great piece by Ben Clements about finding uh, sleepers based on the difference between their max power output, their raw power, max EV. They're, in his case, he used 95th percentile. Um, and their average exit velocity. And he used that to find sleepers. And it's a it's a fun list of sleepers uh, that uh, produces guys like O'Neill Cruz, Michael Harris II, Nolan Jones, who we, we've uh, talked about a little bit uh, in our outfield uh, profile that's coming up. Um, and then some like a little bit longer shots, I think, because of the contact rate, Joey Bart and Joe Adele. Anyway, Jesus Sanchez is on this list, and I'm just worried that this fetishization of strikeout rate will lead to not wanting to play Jesus Sanchez, who I think has a good uh, power upside, good overall upside, especially uh, if he continues to improve his contact rate and power at the same time, uh, which is possible. His max EV went up last year, and his bail rate in his first year uh, was 12.5% and 10% last year. So there's some really good uh, batted ball authority here. And I would hate for them to be like, well, he strikes out too much and we're the go-go slap it around Marlins right now. The other, On the other way I could see it, though, is, wow, you know, we have a lot of guys who can hit singles, but we need a couple guys who can hit homers. <laughs> so maybe Jesus Sanchez, uh, with Jazz in center, uh, can swim move past Brian De La Cruz. Because the 
the defensive, the pressure would be less on the glove. Do you not see that? You're making a face. I'm making a face because I just keep looking at this depth chart. And I'm like, <laughs> like, okay, let's let's build a bench. It's like, we can't build a bench. We have to build a starting lineup first. <laughs> well, build Joey a Wendell's bench, not a shortstop, right? Backup I mean, what, shortstop uh, could be Birdie, I guess. They have Groshans on Fangraphs already. If you start Joey Wendell at shortstop, it means you don't care about shortstop defense. So, like, <laughs> so like might the, the well rules, be <laughs> It breaks the rules of build the Oh, bench. no, they have another second baseman. I forgot they have John Birdie. <laughs> why? Like, why would you do... Why would you not just play Jazz Chisholm at shortstop in this scenario? Why would you not play him there? Uh, must be worries about did his we, defense. But did is we Wendell see nothing? better than him at defense? At right. Short? It, you, you're probably not going anywhere right now. Wouldn't you rather see if Jazz can be your shortstop even for three or four well, they're years? Well, they are going somewhere. I mean, they're they're trying to win some games. It looks like you don't trade Pablo Lopez for Lisa Reyes if you're rebuilding. You only get three years of Lisa Reyes. They think they can do something in the next three years. There's other fallout from this trade too. Just looking at the Marlins' rotation, right? So. Sandy, Jesus Lazardo, the one-two right now. They signed Johnny Cueto. I you didn't, you didn't, you didn't sign Johnny Cueto. So, yeah, he made, so he's in. in. So then you get two spots, unless you're going to go to a six-man rotation, which they probably want two spots for a combination of Trevor Rogers, Braxton Garrett, Edward Cabrera, yeah, that's and it. then other younger pitchers. Don't say those names. Don't get excited about them. Yuri Perez not coming up. So, yeah, I think it comes down to Braxton Garrett versus Trevor Rogers in the spring. It's going to be a little bit of uh, if Rogers is healthy, what the question is. I think Rogers' slider kind of comes and goes, and there's uh, his fastball son kind of comes and goes. So I think Rogers has more upside than Garrett, and the model liked Rogers last year, even when he was imploding. So he's just a, a, a weird cat to try and uh, predict. I suppose there's a world where Edward Cabrera goes back down and works on his command or pitch mix some, and Rogers and Garrett both make it. But uh, if you're in a league where you, where it doesn't matter so much who starts the season, like a draft and hold, then I think all three of those guys are great picks. Um, if you're in a league where it matters who's starting in the first week, then uh, if you're drafting now, then drafting Trevor Rogers or Edward Cabrera, I think is uh, is pretty risky. Oh man, how could they not have Cabrera in that rotation? When he's healthy, he's just electric. Like give him give him a spot. See yeah. what happens. Yeah, and Braxton Garrett is more of a guy who has command of a few pitches and and doesn't have standout stuff. But um are we getting anywhere near the end of uh he's got one option left, so Garrett can go down. I bet you Rogers has zero. What Trevor Rogers has three option years left? He wasn't on the 40 man very long before he got a chance to debut. So wow. that actually makes sense. Braxton Garrett, 17 starts last season over a strikeout per inning. Didn't have a control problem. Good ratios. 358 ERA, 125 whip. If that dude's getting sent down, then yeah, your pitching's in really good shape. And Yeah, they're still in pretty good shape. I, d- I mean, I, I wouldn't have signed Cueto, I think. But uh, it, also, it makes sense to push Braxton Garrett to the sixth starter, I think. And, or take some pressure off of Trevor Rogers. Yeah, and you get a few younger guys that if you do bring them up, they're going to have some workload concerns. I could, I could see the case for Cueto just being the the guy that's there 
that gives them a little more flexibility with the schedules of the young guys whose innings they might be trying to control more carefully. I just noticed something that upsets me. Yeah. Trevor Rogers in the new uh, model is a 101 stuff plus guy. That's up or down? Down. Braxton Garrett is 94. It's close. I still think Gar- uh, Rogers is ahead of Garrett if they're both healthy. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation, all through a barely there poke hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be a foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash the athletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Postoperative management is patient specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's look at the Minnesota side of this rotation adjustment now. Pablo Lopez, good get for them. No doubt about that. So you got Sonny Gray, Joe Ryan, Pablo Lopez, Tyler Malley, and probably Kenta Maeda. That's your starting five, right? Maeda has no restrictions this spring. So now they're in the position where Bailey Ober is an extra guy. Josh Winder, who I think was really effective in the swing role, extra guy. That's probably a good spot for him. Simeon Woods-Richardson, one of the first guys up if they lose someone. Their pitching depth does look a lot better today just by having a healthy Maeda and now adding Lopez than it did when this offseason started. Yeah, they they look better equipped to handle things. Uh, Varland uh, and Louis Varland and, and Josh Winder just uh, are decent. I think they're the guys that come up if it's a few starts, if it's a one or two start situation. They can kind of uh, go between them because you, you can only uh, option a guy down uh, a few times, you know, there's limits on how many times you can option, you can bring a guy up and put him down. So I think they'll kind of they'll switch between Winder, Winder and Varland in that case. But if there's a long term injury, like if Tyler Malley's uh, shoulder is 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 really busted up, then I think Bailey Ober uh, jumps right in there and 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 can take it because he's the guy with the most upside. Uh, he came back uh, last year, and though. Uh, you know the stuff numbers are not great. Um, I I believe that the twins, um, with uh, their fascination with Kinetrax, which is the first uh, the first like limb tracking devices, uh, that they are out there on deception. They know deception pretty well. Ober is has a very sort of extreme delivery that I could see being very deceptive. And when he came back from off of injury last year. Um, you know, in late September, he did have full kind of starts. Like he had five, five, seven and a third, 10 strikeouts, zero 
uh, earned runs, one walk against the White Sox. He looked pretty good uh, down the stretch against middling uh, competition, but uh, he looked pretty good. So I'm excited about Ober, but it, it, right now I think he's the sixth starting pitcher uh, until you hear someone's injured. So that makes it uh, a little bit difficult. He's a little bit more in the sixth starting uh, pitchers I like group than the fifth starting pitchers I group. Yeah, I think that's a fair place to put him. Arias being gone from the Twins depth chart actually clarifies some playing time a little bit. I think it gives a clear path to Alex Kirilov, health permitting. I've liked Kirilov throughout this draft season. It would not be surprised if he got a little bit of a bump. And then you look around at the DH spot now, maybe there's a little bit more up for grabs there. And that's part of the way if Arias moves around all over, then there's just a squeeze. So Trevor Larnack might have a, a clearer path to playing time as well as a result of Luis Arias being gone just because of the way the pieces fit together on this roster. I, he's a bit of a DH type too, you know, like he's, that's one of the reasons I think that he wasn't getting a bit of better shot, a little bit of a lug. I think Nick Gordon is their new Arias um, and he's going to play all over. Um, and, um, you know, uh, Jose Miranda is going to play uh, the corners. Uh, and, and and trade off with um, with Kirilov a little bit and uh, and I think uh, Kyle Farmer and Nick Gordon like if we're building a bench it's uh, their newly acquired uh, Michael Taylor in center um, Nick Gordon I think Kyle Farmer might be the backup shortstop Nick Gordon is the backup of everything else Ryan Jeffers that means you have one slot left. Uh, even beyond Larnack, you could put Larnack in at uh, DH. Maybe put Celestino uh, if you want to go heavy on outfield um, defense. Um, but there, there's one more slot uh, behind Larnack. So I think Larnack makes this team for sure. And if Larnack makes this team, I think he gets most of the DH uh, at bats. What's left is uh, maybe Walner, Celestino. I don't know. What are you seeing something I'm not seeing here on this depth chart? No, I think I think that's a pretty pretty good read of it. I mean, I think Taylor probably bumps Celestino off the roster. That's what I was afraid well, of. Most so likely. Is Walner a righty? No, he's also a lefty. No. So there's a little bit of a... Uh, maybe they sign Luke Voigt. Walner, Larnack, and Joey Gallo all on the same roster. That's a lot of Ks. That's a lot of Ks. A lot of power too, though. Yeah. Show put those three guys in the same BP group. I could actually see this team assigning Luke Voigt and having a Luke Voigt uh, Trevor Larnock DH situation. Ooh, it'd be kind of rough though because then, you know, the playing time caps for both of those guys would take a hit, but it does from a like a real life perspective make sense. One thing I just noticed looking at the Twins ADPs right now. Byron Buxton is their only top 100 player. And he's barely in there. He's like pick 90. This is a really solid team, right? Carlos Correa goes around pick 120. Jose Miranda, who I believe over the weekend, uh, Carlos Correa said looked sexy at uh, Twins Fest <laughs> or whatever that is. I guess that means he's been working out. First and third eligible, pick 144. I wasn't, well, we did the corner previews already. Those are rolling out very soon. I think one or both of those will, will air this week. I wasn't all in on him. He's actually one of the players that I've been kind of careful with because there are other guys I like in that range a bit more. It's a bummer because I liked him going into last season. I, it's the weirdest feeling in the world. Liking a player one year, having the player come through, and then backing away the next year, especially when the cost isn't that bad. 
pick 150 range pick isn't that much. It's not like he jumped up into the top 50. I know exactly what we're talking about. I have that feeling all the time. <laughs> like, I got that right, and now I don't like this guy. Yeah. But it's not, it's yeah. not I don't like him. It's that everybody else is just willing to Suddenly you're behind the pack on Jose Urquidy. How did that happen? Right. Same kind of thing going on there. <laughs> so I, I guess the thing with Miranda that I'm curious about is I want to see if he's able to increase his barrel rate. We did see some pretty intriguing power from him in 2021. That was 30 home runs combined between double A and triple A hit 15 last year as a rookie at the big league level. Is there one more level with his power in the big leagues? If there is, he ends up being a bargain that I'm passing on. And uh, that'll be uh, that'll be for the worse for me. And right now, the stat cast numbers actually uh, go hand in glove with the uh, the scouting numbers uh, in terms of the Fangraph scouting numbers. Game power, 45.50. Um, and the bail rate, 6%. Max EV, 109. Those are just barely above average. That's a 45.50. Uh, 45 in scouting parlance is, is is average. And when there's a slash line, you're talking about future versus present. So they think he could be have above average power. They're thinking that maybe this year, um, if he grew into that 50 power, he would be somebody that could hit 270 with 20 homers. Is that about 50 power? It's a good think? player. Yeah, I think so. That's what I'd, I'd call that 50 power. It's not great at, at, at the corners, though. No, but you can move him to two spots. I, I guess if he doesn't, if he doesn't offer much in terms of steals, that it puts more pressure on the average being better than two seventy for him to take a leap above that range. And he's not going to steal bases. In the little Fangraphs graduation blurb, Miranda is doing the Ty France dance as a positionless masher. Yeah, that's actually kind of a, a great comp statistically yeah, right now. That's not bad. <laughs> that's really good. A righty yeah. on the corners that should play a lot and is dependent on those categories, really kind of carrying his value. So. He, it's like it's kind of like he's appropriately priced, and I'm not sure I see another level based on the underlying numbers right now. If he gets to more power, then hey, I'm wrong. If he's been hitting CrossFit or whatever it is that's making him look sexy in the eyes of Carlos Correa, good for him. Uh, but so far, he's been a player that I haven't been drafting. I think also with the uh, with the rise leaving town, um, just his playing time got a little bit more safer. Like I, I don't think that I think that he would have to take a real downturn in offense for them to want. Kyle Farmer to start at third base over him. I don't think I don't know if they even want Kyle Farmer on that roster anymore. <laughs> Could be twice traded in the same offseason just based on uh, how that thing is is coming together right now in Minnesota. A little bit, little bit duplicitous with Nick Gordon, right? I think so. I think Nick Gordon should play a lot more than Kyle Farmer. Yeah. Lightning round signings. Got a bunch of minor moves that have happened, so we'll see if you think there's any impact here from a fantasy perspective. You could throw out the league type in which you might be interested. Josh Harrison to the Phillies. No, it does make me think that maybe Bryson Stott has a little bit more risk associated with him than we thought. Um, He's a good real-life player uh, who was just slightly above league average of the bat in the second half. Was that skills growth or was that just noise because the bat was a little bit higher? Um, so, uh, some question of where Bryson Stott is like, obviously a very important player for the Phillies, obviously a good real life player because he's got defense and he's a decent bat, but for you to be a good fantasy player, you need to have plus bat. So that's what Harrison makes me think about with, with is actually Stott. Yeah. I think that's the, the biggest impact he has on leagues is what he potentially does to Bryson Stott's playing time. Harrison, for me, more of a mono-league sort of player at this point. Jesus Aguilar to the A's. Could we see a rebound from Aguilar, or do you think 
underlying numbers have fallen to the point where they're grasping at straws. They used to do this more often. I like that they did this again. Um, you know, you shouldn't believe bounce back projections for 32 year olds, and the bat X says you particularly shouldn't believe it for Jesus Aguilar. So um, I think I'm out given how bad that stadium is for power. Yeah, I think you were talking about Luke Voigt, you know, possibly ending up in Minnesota. If Aguilar sticks with the A's. It might even be more of a, a Luke Voigt sort of role where they've got enough other guys that can move around. They can afford a right-handed first base DH type, but small side platoon doesn't really play anywhere. I'm pretty interested in Ryan Noda the more I look because I think the A's should just see what he can do. I know, and Dermis Garcia was on this uh, the sleeper thing from um, from Ben Clemens. I mean, why not just play Dermis Garcia and Ryan Noda some more? Um, instead of this Aguilar situation, uh, but uh, the weird, the weird problem, the real problem is second base and shortstop uh, for the A's is just uh, just no offense right now, and I don't really see anybody coming through except for somebody you just mentioned recently, Zach Geloff. Yeah, Zach Geloff, I think, is one of their their next prospects who we're going to see in the big leagues. Super super deep draft and hold situation, but. Interesting guy. At a knee, Hurt his shoulder knee last year. Yeah. So lost some time with a shoulder injury. I think that explains some of the power dip too with the move of the double A. But a player that I think will probably bring that K rate down over time and should get to the power pretty consistently. Uh, right, right in there with like the, the Jordan Diaz, you know, could play a lot. But I think Geloff has a higher ceiling. I think he's the guy that I like a lot more long term if I have to choose one for a keeper or a dynasty league. I rolled his Chapman to the Royals. I think that came up during the closer episode just because we had that back on Friday. Is he the guy in Kansas City or is it still Scott Barlow or do you see them going a different direction entirely? Um, trying to find Barlow on here. Uh, Scott Barlow had uh, okay numbers, but uh, his I think his velo dropped over the course of the season. Yeah, I thought you said he had a bad fastball last year. I think that was one of the concerns with Barlow. Yeah, I think he's a above-average reliever. And Aroldis Chapman actually still had great stuff last year. Uh, the difference is kind of mind-boggling. 128 stuff plus for Aroldis Chapman, 109.7 for Scott Barlow. So 110, it's a big difference uh, in in stuff plus. Those Aroldis Chapman had the worst location plus among relievers in baseball last year, among all pitchers. So a world is Chapman, but you know, if he finds his command a little bit, uh, that seems like a place where they could make a change. Added Zach Grinky to the rotation as of Monday also. So he's back for one more year in Kansas city, 368 ERA last year, 134 whip. I think that's the worst whip we've seen from Grinky since 2006. It's only six innings that year. So may not get better with the new shift rules. Uh, 73 Ks last year in 137 innings. That's brutal. He's not striking guys out as much anymore. And you put those balls in play with the shift rules. I don't think I don't think you'll have a 368 ERA this year. No, I don't think so either. We were wondering on the closer episode what they might do in Texas with that ninth inning situation. They did add Ian Kennedy to the mix. Do you think there's anything left in the tank with him? I don't think he showed up on my. He's I forgot about him a little bit because <laughs> yeah, last year he was, he was bad. Him. He was bad. 536 ERA, 157 whip. It was ugly. Uh, 97.5 stuff plus. Uh, I don't... I have uh, my personal theories about that. We did talk about it. 
Um, I kind of like Joe uh, Joe Barlow behind uh, Jose Leclerc, um, but I don't think Kennedy is going to make move the needle on that one. They did just sign Jacob Barnes, which I was excited about, and he has great stuff. But Jacob Barnes also has. Da -da 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 -da. It's gonna be bad command, isn't it? Uh, well, also uh, 50, 60 innings over the last two seasons. Yeah. So bad yeah, command and uh, and fair amount of injury, but a good amount of stuff. And you know, one these are the types of guys that pop up all the time. You know, great stuff. Uh, you know, feels great for one season. Has the good command, and you know, uh, is the reason why you normally don't sign like pop up relievers to two or three year deals. Yeah. Uh, I think just given his age, Kennedy more of a depth option for the Rangers than a prominent late inning yeah, solution for them. Nelson Cruz ended up in San Diego. That happened like three weeks ago, but I don't think we talked about it. It was a one-year, $1,000,000 deal. To me, this is a bit like the the Albert Pujols gambit. They signed it for $1,000,000? Million? $1,000,000. Million. But to me, it's like the Pujols thing last year where it's kind of like he's just the last hitter on the roster and it's if he if he surprises, he can play more. And if he doesn't, he's got a very kind of he's almost like player manager. Kind yeah, of role. yeah. Everyone loves him, and he's talking to them about what the pitcher is about to do and and helping them suss it out. So, so I guess then Matt Carpenter is the starter at DH. I mean, I, the the contract tells us something a little bit, doesn't it? It doesn't tell it. It doesn't say to us that Nelson Cruz is here to be the starting DH. I don't think. It's the last guy on the bench, and if they need that Carpenter spot, got they let him go. Carpenter got two years and twelve million. Right. So Carpenter is the starter at DH, and Nelson Cruz is is uh, going to be smiling, keeping everybody happy. That works. They have so many guys that aren't going to take many days off that they can actually. They're one of the few teams that can get away with two primary DHs on the roster. You really can't do that with most rosters. You're right. They actually have starters. They're not a lot of platoon situations. Are you not? You're not. You're not walking no. around with Xander Bogarts. You're not. Right, Manny's in every, if he's healthy. You know, uh, Kim and Kim is such a high end utility guy that even if you play Matt Carpenter at first and and play and float Kim a little bit more and Cronenworth at second, uh, that's fine. Then you've got a high end utility guy that's floating around. That's still you still have the ability to uh, have two DHs. It's true. Last signing, Roberto Perez joins the Giants catcher mix. This probably means Gary Sanchez. Oh, the Jerry isn't Sanchez deal—the <laughs> dream dies to death. <laughs> yep. Oh man, I don't know. Uh, I don't know who wins out there. I guess what this is is a, a vote of confidence for uh, Joey Bart, who showed up on that breakout uh, catcher list and uh, did make some improvements last year. He's a righty, just like Joey Bart, so it's not like you're going to do some sort of platoon situation. I would say that going with Roberto Perez is a vote of confidence for Joey Bart. You know, you said catcher list, I think, there a second ago, which made me think of pitcher lists, which reminded me of PitchCon, which just happened this past weekend. Shout out to Nick Pollock and the pitcher list team for putting yeah, together a great fun. event and raising over $10,000 for ALS research. Really a tremendous job all around just that's always a fun thing to do this time of year, just to jump online and catch up with friends and, and watch a lot of panels. And I know if you didn't get a chance to see those, I think they usually upload those to YouTube a little while after the event. So you'll be able to catch up on some content 
from that as well. But yeah, shout out to Nick for putting all of that together. A little bit of a nerdy thing happened. I was watching uh, Alex Chamberlain's uh, great presentation about uh, making a more predictive FIP and uh, doing that by uh, substituting some stat cast variables for, uh, you know, FIP has traditionally just strikeouts, walks, and homers. But if you can kind of attack that homer uh, variable by using some stack cast variables, um, then you can actually make it more predictive than actual FIP. So he's created something called predictive FIP. And I thought what would be really interesting is to use that as maybe some part of the cornerstone of our projections that we're working on with Jordan Rosenblum that have pitching plus in them. Because pitching plus would is a very natural thing where you can use stuff plus to uh, to basically instead of K percentage, right? So you're, you're kind of moving stuff plus into the K percentage thing. You're using location plus into the walks and you're using some, uh, you're using some stat cast, uh, batted ball data instead of homers. So you're still using kind of the FIP framework, but you're kind of trying to be more precise with mm-hmm. the, with the dials inside. Uh, so, uh, Alex said he'd be fine with giving me those, uh, that, uh, predictive FIP, uh, core, core coefficients he's got. We may, that may end up being. A big part of our project our projections going forward pfip is that what we're gonna call it it's gonna be pfip no that's what you called it yeah yeah i think that's a good way i gotta watch that one once it's well, available i gotta have a name YouTube. for our pitching projections although i think jordan's gonna be naming it uh, it's his, his baby but maybe i can yeah. make some some ideas i did just name <laughs> i just n- did this name a beer that i'm gonna debut on opening day in new york baby hey that sounds new good. york circle that Especially Mets fans. I think the Yankees might be home. But Mets fans, New York, I'm going to be there. Going to be something fun happening opening day. Very cool. Can't announce it yet, though. Too early? Yeah, we got to get the details 100%. Fair enough. All right. Well, hey, we got that to look forward to. At least other people do. I will be home. (laughs) 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 I will not be out at that point in time. But uh, I'm glad other people can go check that out. bring you on home. I appreciate that. Uh, we are going to go on our way out the door. A reminder, you can get a subscription to The Athletic for just $2 a month for the first year at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Great time to get in, of course, with fantasy baseball season. I think it kind of started already, even though it's not the start of it for everyone. So get in, get all the great draft kit content that Football we're going to roll dragging out. dragging on with that 17th week and the geez, Yeah, come on. We're, in the, we're in the lull before the Super Bowl. So this is a great time to get in if you just tuned in for the first time in a while. And, and if uh, you're not a subscriber, but you want the fantasy content, there is a fantasy magazine that uh, just hit shelves. I don't know where. Yeah, I don't know if it's just specific, like, stores or where exactly it's out there but keep an eye out for it Ooh, if you're really going to a bookstore I, I would bet barnes and noble we've done we've done publishing deals with them in the past where books done by us are in barnes and noble so i would bet it's at barnes and noble there you go so got some options out there on twitter Eno's at eno saris i am at derek van riper email rates and barrels at the athletic.com if you got questions for a future episode the position previews roll on this week thanks for listening Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. 
From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.